You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. A big hello and welcome to if you're watching online. Um, We're grateful for you as well and delighted that you're joining us today. And um, we're in a series right now where we are going through Paul's first letter to the the Thessalonians. Let me get that right. And uh, the series is called Future Focus. And it's really all about how we can live today with eternity in our own hearts and our own minds. Because Paul seems to have the eternal future glory of the church at the forefront of the letter that he's writing. He's saying, Jesus is coming back. So live differently. Live like you believe it. Live with that as your future focus in our own hearts and our own minds. And uh, so today we're in 1 Thessalonians and we're going to read from chapter 4, verse 13. It's going to come up on the screen, I think. Um, And I'm going to read it to us. But before I do, I'd love to pray. Holy Spirit, we love what you're doing. And we just ask that you would increase what you're doing in us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your weight, your spirit would weigh heavy upon us. Whether in this room or wherever we're watching online, that your spirit would be a heavy weight upon us. That we would know the tangible presence of your spirit this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've got my glasses, so this is always good news. Here we go. Right. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. Amen. So losing a loved one is one of the hardest things that any of us will ever have to go through. Yet it's something that all of us at some point in our lives will go through. And yet at the same time as that, death can also seem so far away. It can seem so removed, almost abstract at times until it touches someone we love. And that's when the searing pain of separation and the dreadful finality of it all grips us. 
grips us so hard as we face the, the fact that the person that we loved, the person whom we still love, is never coming back. And that is the horror and the tragedy of death that many of us understand only too well. Death also raises questions about those who've passed away. Questions like, well, what's happened to them? Where are they now? Are they okay? Will I ever see them again? When we lose someone we love, it also brings our own mortality into sharp focus. As again, we begin to question, well, what will happen to me when I die? Where will I go? Will I be okay? And these are the same questions that confronted the Thessalonians as they faced the death of their loved ones. So let me just give you some background to this passage. This letter is written to a church in Thessalonica about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. And it's written to a church that is asking these very similar questions. You see, the people there, they're confused. They're heartbroken because of their grief and because of their loss. They were expecting Jesus to return at any time. And to be honest with you, I think they were thinking, well, Jesus, you should have returned by now. And so they're asking this, these questions about their loved ones who have died since trusting in Jesus. And so Paul puts pen to paper as Timothy comes back with this report and he begins to answer some of the problems that Timothy is telling him that these, this church in Thessalonica are facing. As some of these believers were grieving and they were grieving like people who had no hope. They were in a state of despair, utter despair, as they mourned the death of their loved ones. Now, the pagan world which these new believers came from had now no real hope of life after death. For example, a typical inscription on a grave in Thessalonica would say, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Pretty depressing stuff. It's in complete contrast to the way of Jesus, whose death and resurrection has given us a hope that lasts forever. A deep and powerful hope that when death comes, it is not the end, because we have the promise of eternal life. Amen? So when Chuck was a much younger man, <laughs> he, uh, he worked in the city in London and he worked for an IT company and he worked with um, an English colleague who was very well-to-do. He was a very well-to-do English gentleman. He was educated in all the best public schools and it, Chuck said it always took him ages to try and translate what this guy was saying into normal English because he would always use so many double negatives. So you and I, if we arrived in a new town, we might say, let's see if we can go and find a coffee shop. Not Chuck's colleague. He would say, why don't we see if we can't find ourselves a coffee shop? Double negatives all the time. Well, it appears that the Apostle Paul may have gone to a similar school as uh, Chuck's Englishman. Because here in verse 13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. 
Now, anyone else would say it like this. We want you to know the truth. There is truth about life. There is truth about death. There is truth about eternity. There is truth about God. And we want you to know it all. In other words, and this is my first point, there is truth to know. There's truth to know. Now, if we were to go out into the streets of Aberdeen at the end of this service today, and perhaps maybe we should, and we were to ask people, stop them in the street and ask them, do you know where you're going when you die? I can guarantee the chances are that most people will believe something. They'll say something. For many people, it's likely to be a personalized, self-invented, eclectic kind of disembodied heaven that they might believe in. Maybe there'll be a touch of reincarnation in there. Or maybe there'll be some talk about angels. Or maybe a new age energy. Or life force or, you know, Star Wars or whatever. And then other people, they'll have a completely different answer. They'll just say nowhere. Nothing. I'll just cease to exist. The end. Now, we might press them and we might ask them, well, where are you getting that from? Like, what are you basing that on? And they probably won't admit this, but actually what they're doing is they're guessing. They're guessing. They're basing their beliefs and their eternal destiny, the most important issue in their entire lives, on a guess. But that's not what we as Christians do. We are basing our belief on objective, historically evidenced truth. And what Paul is saying to these confused and these grief-stricken believers in Thessalonica is, you don't need to guess, which will give you absolutely no reason to have peace in your life. You can know the truth, and the truth will fill your hearts and fill your minds with hope. As a pastor, I've had the absolute privilege of being invited into some of the most intimate, life-shaping, heart-wrenching, anguish and pain of people's lives. I've witnessed illness slowly rob a person of life. I've witnessed the beauty of a terminally ill mum say her wedding vows just months before she goes to be with Jesus. I've been at the end, very end, of people's lives. Also in the midst of excruciating pain and heartbreak and suffering. And yet, despite all of the pain, all of the anguish, all of the disappointment, all of the grief, all of the suffering, I have witnessed by these very same people such hope, such certainty, such an inward peace that it is breathtaking. As it reflects and it radiates out with such intensity, their hope and assurance that death is not the end. Their inner life was brimming with confidence in Jesus' eternal hope. And as they lived and died, they lived and died with eternity in clear view. Number two, the truth has a name. Debbie Harry also known as Blondie, a punk icon back in the day. She was interviewed a while ago about faith, and this is what she said. I think it's important to have faith, but the most important thing is to have a deep faith in yourself. 
Now that perhaps might sound like a helpful thought, but it's not the kind of faith that Paul is encouraging here. He's not encouraging them, you know, don't worry, just believe in yourself. You know, don't worry. He's, he's, he's not saying, I'm prescribing a journey of self-confidence for you, or self-reliance, or self-resilience. Neither is he saying it's a kind of universal faith that you can believe in. Believe in whichever deity, whichever religion, whichever structure you want, because it's pretty much all the same anyway. Verse 14, we believe Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There is no other name in heaven or on earth whom we can have hope in a situation like this other than Jesus. Notice these three small words in the passage. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. In other words, it's precisely because Jesus was raised from the dead that we can have hope. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Now, if I'm being honest with you, I don't think I treat the assurance of Jesus's resurrection like the treasure I ought to. I live in the light of it, absolutely, 100%. But the greatest treasure, I'm ashamed to say, probably not so much. Instead, I run around, spending all my time on this earth like this is the only one I've got, my only life I've got. Busy, running from pillar to post, doing this and that, I become easily distracted with what I think I need to do right now. But this life and the things in this world are temporary and they will fade, as will our troubles, our afflictions, our pain, our problems. They too will fade, but our living redeemer will never die. His resurrection power will never fade. Amen. <laughs> For centuries before 1492, people talked about a land beyond the western horizon of Europe. Now, some said there was none. Others said, well, when you get to the horizon, you tip off the edge and that's the end. Then in 1492, Columbus, he set sail with his men across the Atlantic Ocean into the sunset where they discovered the Americas. And when they returned, they could say, it's decided there is a land beyond the sunset. We know we have been there. Our Jesus, he has gone beyond the sunset. He has been through death and he has been raised to life again. And he's now the proof that there is life on the other side. That's how we know that there's more, more to this life 
more than this life now. That's how we know that death is not the end. That's how we know that eternity is awaiting us because Jesus, he is the proof. Number three, Jesus will return. I loved what we were singing today about Jesus returning. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So on a day, a day when we least expect it, Jesus will once again be physically present in this world and all around the globe, every eye will see him and worship him as the true and the living God. For on that day, there's going to be a loud command, a cry, a trumpet call that's going to resound throughout the entire world. And everyone will know that Jesus has come. And as he returns, he will call out all those who are sleeping, just like he did for Lazarus. For Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he will call the dead to life. And he will say, come out, come out from the grave. And with that, our earthly bodies will be completely transformed. No more sickness, no more cancer, no more tears. I absolutely love what Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Point number four. We will see each other again. Verse 17. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is such a beautiful picture of the Lord uniting families, gathering uh, loved ones from across the generations, drawing together friends, long lost brothers and sisters in Christ dissipating all our grief, wiping all our tears, bringing us all into his glorious presence. The separation that we feel today is temporary. It's temporary because our reunion will be for eternity and we will see them again and our heartache will cease. Number five. And we will be with Jesus forever. So many people are obsessed about the future, but I don't think we will find anyone quite as obsessed as Elon Musk. Uh, his goal in life is to colonize Mars, 
revolutionize transportation and merge human brains with artificial intelligence. I mean, what? Can you imagine? Awful. <laughs> it's terrifying. The Bible tells us very clearly that for us as Christians, our future is, verse 17, to be with the Lord forever. We will be with Jesus forever and ever, and it will be glorious. <laughs> Continually with him, endlessly in his presence, always together. We will never think about earthly things ever again. No more worldly desires clambering for our attention and our affection. It was all going to evaporate within the blink of an eye as all our time, all our attention, all our devotion will be engaged forever with Jesus in things that is never going to take us away from communion with him. We will be with him and we will know him just as he knows us and he will be our closest friend and we will never have to fear him hiding his face from us ever again. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, we will always know his love, always return it, and always swim in the full stream of it, enjoying it to the utmost. We will never cease fellowship with him. No doubts will ever intrude as we will be so consciously with him, we will know that he is ours. For his left arm will be under our head and his right arm will embrace us. And we will be with him without any danger of being removed from him. The worship will be endless, the praise unceasing, the bliss unbounded with the Lord forever. This is a very short talk. At least I think it was short. I don't know, it might not be, might not have felt like that to you. I just want to finish by saying this. I don't want to assume that everyone here knows Jesus, or if you're watching online today, maybe you don't know Jesus. And maybe you've realized today that you haven't given enough thought about what happens when your time comes and when you die. But now you realize that you, you do. You want to be with Jesus. You want to be with Jesus in eternity. And you want to settle the future of your destiny, of your life today. That you know where you're going. And so if that's you, whether that's you watching online or here in the room, I'm going to say a prayer. And if you want to say yes to Jesus today, you can just say that prayer in your own heart. So why don't we all bow our heads and let me pray. And you can repeat after me in your own head if you want to give your life to Jesus today. Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that because you died on the cross for me, I can have my future secured in eternity with you. 
I want to say, I'm sorry for all the things that I have done. All the sinful things that I'm ashamed of. And all the things that I'm not even ashamed of that I should be. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. To come and be the center of my life. Because I want to follow you for all my days. And I ask your Holy Spirit to come and fill me now. Amen.